Welcome to the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast. I'm Mike Prowse and travel is my life. It's how I get to places. As for haters on the internet, I find that all too often they put me down because they don't know where I've been. So where am I this week? That's right, I'm in Japan. And in the next 10 minutes, I'll comprehensively cover all aspects of this ancient culture. No podcast sponsor this week, owing to the late withdrawal of Frank Harper, the self-styled electrician of Hove. No hard feelings, Frank. Why not entrust your family's electrical safety to a man who, and I quote, got his wires crossed? Instead, I thought I'd catch up on your emails. You'll remember last time I asked if you enjoyed travelling alone. Here are a few of your responses. Thomas Dean of Crewe said, No. Andrew Parkinson from Ellesmere Port, No. June Barker from Ipswich, Yes. Tony Pulis, No. Jonathan Pimlet from Manchester, Yes. And Jenny Ford from East Finchley, yes. Thank you so much for your emails, I do enjoy reading them. Remember that email again, sexymike41 at altavista.com. Where better to start my travels in Japan than in the Shinrin Tea House? to witness the ancient tea ceremony. The House of Shinrin strives for historical accuracy, and I know I'm in for a uniquely authentic experience the moment my tea master turns the mug three times and slowly inserts the bag. I may be in the realm of the ancient now, but later I'll be in the manic whirl of technological innovation which is the Tech Expo 17, where corporations harvest the unparalleled engineering creativity which pours from the colleges and laboratories of Japan. There's a lot more to Japanese culture than samurais and ninjas, although that is the best bit. The main barrier to understanding this country is Japanese. It's like a different language far more so than French, which is basically English with shrugging. But remember, written Japanese is comprised of a series of visual pictograms, and as such, cannot be discussed. The ancients and the modern jostle side by side here, and Japan's military history is founded on such dualities. Victory is achieved when two concepts unite sword and shield, flintlock and gunpowder, cannon and ball. And while the country's technological excellence is driven by the young, it's the older generation which benefits. More so than any other country, Japan has an ageing population. Meeting a 100-year-old in Japan is an everyday occurrence. They're at the bus stops, carrying out mobility exercises in parks doing magic tricks, generally living the high life. At the other end of society, young people lead lonely lives, glued to cult British TV exports like Sherlock, Countryfile 
and points of view. Such is their online existence, it's thought that now in Japan, the average 14-year-old has never heard another person sneeze. Recent statistics show that fewer and fewer young people are having sex, and those who are, are doing it wrong. But Japan's age gap is bridged by technology. I'm about to meet young designers who are turning off old episodes of Casualty and focusing on that booming seniors market. One of these innovators is 28-year-old Hikaru Shibata. I'm meeting her later and I'll be asking her the questions you need answering. Can we really develop a quantum computer? How do we harness the Internet of Things? What is a SCART lead? Wish me luck, it's time to head into Japan's Tech Expo 17. This place is incredible. It's easy to take for granted the fact that computers are at the heart of Japanese society. They make trading decisions for the larger corporate banks. They independently monitor power usage in government buildings. In some cities, you can even play games on them. During the 80s, Japan was at the forefront of a home entertainment revolution, from the explosive success of Pac-Man to the steadily worsening sequels Pac-Child and Pac-Beast. Now, many of the most popular games exist in the realm of virtual reality. Just now, I strapped on a headset and there I was, standing in a house as convincingly badly designed as my own. By reaching out tentatively with the integrated virtual glove, I was able to poke a small boy in the eye, in the actual world. It's an age of wonder. But back in the virtual house, I was in a world of infinite possibility, where the only boundaries were set by my imagination. I looked at some flowers and moved a sofa. Sharp-eared listeners will have noticed the use of bagpipes at the start of this episode. You may have assumed it was a technical error, the like of which saw the destruction of the Bristol podcast. But no. Those at the top of Japanese society view luxury goods from Scotland as status symbols. Salmon, classic malt whiskey, Harris tweed and bagpipes. The well-to-do teenagers here in the fashionable Azabu suburbs may be transfixed by their mobile phones, but they spend as much time perfecting the latest must-have jigs and reels, squeezing the tartan bag for all it's worth. I can see two youngsters practising from here. These bagpipes, however, are clearly Wi-Fi enabled. A word on youth culture in Japan. It's always been ahead of the West, while teenagers in 90s Britain were still snogging in flea pit nightclubs and failing to get served in pubs, Japanese kids had opened up a whole new frontier of entertainment. Staying indoors, sharing pop videos online and goading each other into suicide. It's a digital reflection of my own youth, which was also spent illegally accessing music. The only difference was, I was in our price. I'm back in the conference room now and I'm rather excited. When I agreed to meet a young female cybernetic engineer, I braced myself for poor personal hygiene and not much eye contact. Not a bit of it. 
Hikaru Shibata is astonishing. She's the young female brain behind Trustworthy Delight, a prototype domiciliary help robot which is proving wildly popular among Japan's elderly. Trustworthy Delight monitors the vital signs of its owner, reminds them when to take medication and is mildly racist. It's programmed with an intentionally simplistic understanding of Japan's immigration laws and its audio bank of 3,000 off-colour phrases can be adapted to insult most minorities. I've been looking at customer reviews on the website using my translation app. They include, I would not be without my trustworthy delight. He is the man I think about, and I abhor the futuristic peasant. I'm hugely indebted to Hikaru Shibata for being my guide to Japan's technological frontier. And excited too, as she's agreed to meet me for dinner later. I've stopped off at Kanugawa Beach, where Hokusai painted his famous The Wave, a simple yet powerful depiction of Japan's best ever wave. Behind me is the beach's gift shop, where you can buy souvenir bottles of water guaranteed to contain a homeopathic memory of that original wave. It's really tasty. Japan's main natural risk is earthquake, so exponents of its most popular form of creative expression, origami, run a constant risk of paper flattening. But art, as ever, can unite. This year's origami Olympiad was won by eight-year-old prodigy Chiake Nagamine, with her original origami interpretation of an earthquake. Chatting with Hikaru at the conference, she mentioned that just last year, Japan's oldest manufacturer of origami paper closed down. I suggested the company had folded. Hikaru strongly objected to the joke, assuring me the holding company had remained solvent throughout a voluntary liquidation and takeover process, so technically still trades. 104 jobs were lost. Japan is also home to the haiku, a delicately poised counterbalance of form and content. It's basically their version of a limerick. But it's time for me to head back for dinner with Hikaru, so I'll leave you with my synthesis of these ancient forms. The limerku. There was a young man who came from fair Nantucket. Outcome amusing. The night was not as I'd hoped. My translation app let me down. It seemed Hikaru was proposing not an evening with her, an attractive 28-year-old designer, but dinner with trustworthy delight, her racist care robot. Hikaru markets her robot's views as mildly racist, but frankly, this was rivers of blood stuff, the volume increasing as he waved his pincers, red eyes illuminating the faces of the terrified diners. As he trundled away to berate the Malaysian kitchen workers, I realised that, like progress, he had no off switch. Outside, a 15-year-old in low-slung jeans played a mournful reel on the bagpipes.
That's all from the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you didn't, why not listen to this episode again? See if it makes a difference. Owing to unreliability and poor communications on his part, this episode was not brought to you in association with Frank Harper, the electrician of Hove. Do not employ him. He is unreliable.